Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is Kalila Olakanola. Keo, as she is called, was raised in Brooklyn and spent much of her teens as part of the city's most notorious street gangs. She spent four years behind bars dreaming about how she could impact the lives of others. Today, Keo is VP of Human Resources at True Colors Brewing, a company that hires active and rival gang members. She's a passionate advocate for workplace diversity, inclusion, and second chance hiring. Welcome, Kale. Thank you for having me. So honored to be here. Well, gosh, so much to dig in in this story. Uh, and I'm so honored to talk to you. Uh, first, tell me about True Colors Brewing. I know it's kind of a just getting started and getting operational. And you've got this incredible role as VP of HR. Tell me, when are you going to start making beer? Yeah, so True Colors uh, is a for-profit company with a social, uh, closely knit social mission to unite gang rivals and decrease violence in our city. And you know, the goal of cities across the country, uh, we hope to start pushing out beer uh, April first, sometimes second quarter. Uh, we have a recipe that we believe will be our flagship recipe. It's going to be a a light lager uh, with double digit calories because, you know, people are still health conscious nowadays. And we're just producing one beer right now, you know, so that uh, we can provide some focus. It's not going to be traditional craft. Uh, True Colors beer will be in the cooler next to brands like uh, Budweiser and Coors Light. Wow. Exciting. Now, as as uh, head of HR, you're going to yeah. you're, you're running the people department. Um, talk a little bit about how you're building the team. How, you know, how many people do you have so far? And, uh, and the obvious uh, challenge or I would say opportunity that you have, which is to bring in um, these very special people who have and are currently challenged with either been incarcerated, are currently members of gangs, you know, not an easy thing to do. Not at all. And so currently we have 43 team members. The goal, our staffing goals for gang members, uh, second chance hires is 100. So um, we're reaching towards that right now. We have a class of 24 coming in. And our process, Paul, is really unique to other companies. Uh, You just don't come in for a job in True Colors. We take you through an eight-week onboarding of life skills, social skills, business skills, and beer. We start that belief week where we are challenging what you believe about yourself, about this process, about the opportunity. Because some of our guys come in and they don't believe they deserve opportunity because some of the things that they experience in their past. And so we teach them to dig deep and look inside themselves. I call it the hard but honeymoon phase. You know, when you first get married, you're getting to know somebody and you, you, you get to know some things about them that you may not have known when you were dating. And so our guys are getting to know who they are. After that eight-week onboarding, I get to take you up in the air 15,000 feet and throw you out of an airplane. Similar to gangs, we have our own initiation here in True Colors. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so that skydive jump is is our guy saying, you know, I'm jumping out of this airplane. I'm leaving all these things behind that I may have held on to or these things that have held on to me, and I'm starting brand new. Um, And in that hiring process from that eight-week onboarding to that initiation jump, immediately after that, they go into a 90-day internship. 
that includes stretch assignments and getting over the learning curve and the departments that they express interest in. These are standard departments like marketing or HR, finance, and even brew ops. And once you get through those 90 days, the team officially welcomes you on as a full-time team member. You're already full-time, but you've gone through all the milestones that you had to hit to get to a place where you're on your career track now. Um, we pay a comparable rate to what the market offers and the cost of living here in True Colors. Everyone that comes in starts at $30,000. Uh, when they finish the class, we move them up to thirty-five. And after they go through their 90-day internship, they are promoted again and are provided a salary between that thirty-six dollars to $42,000 range. You know, we're not just building a team member for the job that they're working here today. We're building them for real life because personal success is in the DNA of professional development. If things aren't happening well for you on the outside, it's difficult for you to focus on what we have happening on the inside. And so our HR department is more humanized and holistic. Mm. I remember a number of years ago, I got to participate in a program called the Prison Entrepreneurship Program, and I was able to go to a local prison in Texas and, and help judge a an entrepreneurship program, a business plan competition for people that were currently in prison that were going to see their way out. And, and they were going through this very special training to become business people. And I just loved that experience. And I, and I found uh, the, all the men that I met just to be wonderful people, you know, obviously made some mistakes, had challenges along the way, very smart. And really from a business perspective, incredibly talented and now we're going through this training and we found that the recidivism rate was just uh, so much lower when people got this kind of attention. What are you seeing as you're bringing new people into the organization? I would expect they just feel so grateful and blessed to be a part of this, but it probably also comes with challenges uh, as well. Yeah. So um, definitely people are excited to come in and feel welcome. And some of the challenges is you know, transitioning from the block to what we consider the boardroom, this kind of corporate-like-ish environment. And it's difficult for some people to make the transition because they don't understand. Um, they've never been in a situation similar to what we are offering here at True Colors, or um, they're not ready to commit. You know, one of the things we do when we hire, we look for people that are resilient people that are ready, meaning that you're ready to make a change for yourself and for your community and people that have influence because we want you to use your influence to push down positive peer pressure. Um, so some of the challenges we face here in hiring is getting people to fully jump on board with their whole selves, you know, being willing to take the chance of failing forward because when you don't know certain things, it puts you in a situation where you feel intimidated by the process. And so we try to limit that intimidation by offering that training and that belief week when they first come in. But, you know, they have this thing in retail called customer centric culture. And it's similar to our gang centric culture here, where I begin to cultivate the relationships that we have with the guys that are coming in before they are actually hired. And so I'll be in the, in the courthouse, trap house, jailhouse, wherever it is to go try to recruit somebody and start that recruitment process with the conversation because conversation challenges what you believe and beliefs, you know, is foundational for us is based on what we believe for skills. If you believe in yourself and in the opportunity, I can layer on skills and you'll be willing to utilize those skills because you have the confidence that you need to communicate what you learn and to cultivate them. And then from skills that leads to opportunity. 
in that process, when our guys finish the class, Paul, there has to be a meaningful role for them on the team. And it can't be a busy role. There has to be something where they feel productive because if they don't, what we've seen happen is that it reverts back to how they came in day one, where we have to teach them to believe again, because remember, they're looking at finding value in themselves. That's that belief component. And so if we don't have that conversation, that belief that leads to skills and skills that lead to opportunity in place, we have to go back. But if we have that opportunity, it leads to growth and growth leads to prosperity. And for us, prosperity is not finances only, it's way of life, you know, and that prosperity is what leads to peace. And, um, and so challenges are being able to believe in yourself, having the confidence you need to cultivate what's communicated to you and convey it to the people in your affiliation. Uh, challenges is moving people from environments that they're necessarily not used to and telling them that it's okay to be here. Challenges are when we look at that recidivism rate, we find people fail because they lack opportunity and they reposition themselves back in what's familiar. And it's allowing them to understand or re-familiarize their self with something that, or familiarize themselves with something they may not have experienced before and making it normal. There's a book called Atomic Habits and they have this process called Q Craving Response and Rewards. And I use that in some of our sustainable processes that we have here in True Colors. And it's teaching our guys not how to break bad habits, but how to learn new habits. And by default, they end up breaking the ones that they may have come in here with. Mm. I grew up in Los Angeles, went mm -hmm. to Venice High School, was very familiar with, you know, South Central and the Bloods and the mm -hmm. Crips and, you know, all that went on there um, and the tension surrounding that. So when you bring in potentially uh, uh, either current or former rival gang members into the organization, mm -hmm. do you end up with some problems there uh, or do they sort of drop their defenses? Uh, you know, I assume not everyone even makes it through the eight week program. Yeah. So day one, we have problems. There's always problems because these are rivals. These are people that couldn't have seen each other, you know, on the street the day before. Um, people that have, you know, longstanding beef from years before. And there's also other issues that um, heighten that beef, you know, like that economic disparities, that education desert and that, you know, uh, in their environments, they're so used to being stuck there. But our guys come in and there is usually a tension on day one. And it takes them willing to come back on day two and day three for things to begin to resolve. And what you believe, what you understand is that the person that you had a problem with has a lot more in common with you than they have things that divide you. Um, we, we've had people in rooms across from each other. We have a guy here and you may have seen one of the videos that runs our facilities department now. But uh, he killed someone else's best friend. And now they're brothers. They are connected. They hang out with each other. And it all started with the conversation. And so it's healing that happens with this holistic HR approach and putting them through this eight-week onboarding. And typically, uh, you know, not everybody will make it through. They shouldn't make it through because it should be challenging. And so we have right now 12 people per onboarding. That's what we can handle because we want to be able to provide individual action plans and care for each person. We have about eight to nine people that make it through. This last class, we have six people that made it through. And that doesn't mean that they've done something extremely wrong because it's a really strict eight weeks. You have to show up on time, do what you say you're going to do and inject positivity. And so if you come at 801, you typically are not allowed to come in the class. You're let go because we believe 
if that's the one thing you can do, then you should do it. And so most of the guys go let go or let go because of things like uh, being late for class. And so we give them another opportunity to come back after 90 days. And some guys that are here now, it took them two and three times to actually get it. And once they finally get it, they're in these roles now and they're leading in such a powerful way. And even after they're inside the building, because we have people here and they still have to go back in the streets because they stay active in their gangs, that there's always challenges that we face. But again, I go back to that conversation. We have peace talks and conference rooms, peace talks and trap houses. We're always pulling people, the right people together to have conversations. And there's some things that our guys handle for us on their own. We have a department here called the Landlords, and it's kind of symbolic of them taking ownership of the communities that they live in and the communities that they're from. And when something happens, they go out there to try to make sure that there's no retaliation and to make sure that if there's a resource that the people need, that the community has need of, that they can partner them with that resource and can begin to care for that community. And so we we had to put these processes in place because even though we know it starts with the conversation and cultivation happens here inside the True Colors, there's still things happening on the outside. And so it all works together uniformly and it's part of a sustainable process. Yeah, incredible. Uh, all right, so now I'm going to take you back because I got to figure out where all this passion uh, comes from. Yeah. Uh, so, Ko, talk about your past. I mean, I want to hear about your childhood, your uh, your influences. I mean, you are clearly uh, a true leader that's making an incredible difference right now. But this all had to come from your past and your own experiences. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So. Um... You know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. You read the bio. My mom worked for one of the big four banks and my dad was uh, on Wall Street. He was part of a firefighting team where if they walked, they came in, you knew that the company would be an audited because the numbers were off. And so I spent a lot of time in my early years underneath his desk, listening to him put out fires. And then something happened, you know, in our house. Um, alcoholism, it, it just popped up and... What it did is it took this upper middle class family that was happy and that I thought was whole and everything changed. My dad began to drink a lot and in his moments he would lash out at the family and I found myself standing up for the family because I'm I'm the oldest. And that started a ripple effect in my life where he would put me out at the age of 13. I didn't have any place to stay, you know, because if you stayed with somebody, you'd have to give them something. And I didn't have anything to give but myself, and I didn't want to give that part of me away. And so I would ride the trains back and forth in Canarsie, Brooklyn, from uh, the last stop on the L train to the first stop from Rockaway Parkway to 14th Street Union Square back and forth. Or I'll jump on the shuttle and go over to 42nd Street and ride down there and just walk. But that became my life. I was just on the streets. And, you know, my sisters created this little shed in the backyard and added pillows and stuff. So if I needed to go back there, once everybody went to sleep, I could slip into this shed. It was really cold, but I would be able to lay down on a pillow and wouldn't have to worry about being in the streets. And one day I went upstate with my cousins, not because I wanted to go sell drugs or do anything illegal, but because I wanted a bed. And that may not sound like much to some people, but when you're 13, 14 years old and you don't have a bed, 
Um, you you look for one, you want one. And so I went up to with my cousins and uh, they were all involved in the street trade. They sold drugs and I jumped right in. I realized I was really good at it. I, I understood how to build a business and crunch numbers from that time with my mom and dad going to work with them or going to school with my mom while she was in John Jay. And I built a business out of it and I did it for a long time. And one day I was coming back from New York City. Um, and th- this was after I had had a child and, and my mom asked me to come back home and I told her I would, but I didn't. And I was, I was pulling through exit 23 on 787 South, going back to Albany where I had relocated. And I was pulled over by a cop car. It wasn't just me in the car. It was also my co-defendant. And they had been waiting for us. They saw us leave in the green car and come back in the white car. And I was arrested for possession of crack cocaine um, it was a class A1 felony because of the amount that I had inside the car. They went into the house that I lived in and found some things there as well. And, you know, I asked for leniency because I was a first time felon. But because I had gone to school and it's important that, you know, I share with those listening that even though this was happening, I stayed in school because I was passionate about learning about education. You know, I had something in me. I just didn't know how to use it. And I hadn't been able to surround myself with the right people to understand, you know, there were other options. I thought this was my only options. I know that that's different now. And, you know, the long story, long story short, Paul, I ended up accepting a for the life sentence and life parole because of the amount of drugs that they found in the car. And I served that time a little over four years, actually. And I came home on work release and I moved back in with mom and dad. And I was able to find a job that provided me with a little bit of opportunity. And it was at the Barry Mission Transitional Center. And I worked with 125 men reintegrating back into the community from homelessness, drug addiction, and prison. And it was there that I first realized that I was passionate about educating people who were in difficult situations. And from that job, you know, I ended up transitioning to other roles, you know, while I was, um, when I first got home, But at the same time I was transitioning in these roles, I was building something on my own. I was building ways to connect with people, building ways to teach people. And I ended up taking a job at David Warner International Corp, which was a small firm, an executive search firm in reverse for senior level executives who were making career transitions. And it was there that the CEO and founder taught me a lot of what I know about business today. He saw something in me despite my felony, despite still needing to check a box. He was like, I'm going to hire you, give you opportunity, and I'm going to train you. And what I know today about business, about how to build, in addition to that street knowledge I already had, helped me um, to where I am to today. But um, I relocated to Wilmington, North Carolina 14 years ago. My husband was relocated by his company. And, you know, just to give give you guys a really feel good story, when I came home, somebody told me that a company was hiring felons and I went to this company and I got stuck in the elevator with the boss. Her name was Michelle. And we had a great conversation. And she said, I'm going to hire you, Kalila, and give you a job. I was like, perfect. She said, but the department that you're going in is not the one we were hiring for. And when she took me to that department, the man that was my boss at the time, his name was Alafisa Lokanola. And if you would remember my last name is Olokanola. So that, (laughs) so coming home, I met this incredible guy who was way out my league and we didn't date while I was there, but he did help me to understand what was in me. He encouraged me to go back to school. He encouraged me to grow from where I was working into doing something um, different. And that goes back to that cultivation of the original Disrupt You class of understanding that belief component. 
because I didn't believe in myself when I first came home. I just felt like I had this tarnished record. I felt like I was someone who made a really big mistake and there would be no opportunity for me, that people wouldn't hire me, they, they wouldn't trust me, um, and that I would not amount to anything. But because I had somebody there who was cheering me on and who helped me challenge what I believed about myself and about opportunity, I was able to go back to school and to learn skills, which led to more opportunity. And that's kind of, you know, a portion of where the passion came from. I met George Taylor um, here while I was traveling back to New York for a speaking engagement. He just so happened to be on the same stage as I was for the Women's Venture Fund event. You know, um, I came to Wilmington, couldn't find a job. Paul um, started a business doing event and set design for film and TV. It was successful. I've done um, work for uh, Will Ferrell for HBO Eastbound and Down, Under the Dome Revolution, a bunch of movies and films and rap parties. I was really fortunate. It wasn't because I was better than anybody. It was because I was hungry and I was grateful for opportunity and being able to build something based on what I learned from the streets that I could transition into the boardroom from what I learned working at David Warner International. And I had this awakening one day that I wanted to give back. I remembered how I felt when I came home when I said I wanted to make impact in the lives of others. And I closed the business. I was able to sell both my equipment um, warehouse and was able to sell my contracts and exit out of that business. And I decided doing small workshops for women based on Dr. Seuss books. And mm -hmm. while I was out doing that, I was asked to speak in New York City and I walked in the room and saw George Taylor there. And I was like, hi, George, Kalila from Wilmington. We had a dinner that night. And I, I remember him telling me he wanted to start True Colors. And I thought that he was crazy, like out of his mind. And, but it was also there, Paul, where I realized that this part of my life that carries so much shame and guilt that I hadn't talked about since it happened, right? Because by now I'm in Wilmington. I'm, my friends are in the country club. I'm behind the gate. I can't possibly tell anybody that I'm a felon, right? I can't possibly tell anybody I served all these years in prison that I have pictures of me in a green jumper or a jumpsuit. I can't do that. But I realized that me sharing my story with George was more important than my pride. And so what I did is I told George that I had served time, that I sold drugs because I felt like that was my only option. I was trying to feed myself and that if he did do this business, I would love to be able to come in and to share my story with these young men to show them that better is possible. And it started with me being exhibit A, evidence of what could possibly be. At what point did you get comfortable really talking about this? You do a lot of speaking, you share your story. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the keys to being a good leader is being vulnerable, but it took you a long time to get there. Yeah. Had you know, was it other people that inspired you, or in terms of listening to their stories? How did you get the courage to start to speak out? Oh man, that's a great question. I'm, I'm still. I, I have to find the courage every time I speak about it, and um, people don't get that. But you all, in the back of your mind, you'll always wonder what people think. You know, when you share your story. Is that all they see or will they see, you know, everything else? And so I want to say earlier this year, um, I had one of the guys that was no longer True Colors, you know, reach back out. He was working for someone else in the community and that the owner of that business called me because I knew them from the industry. And he said, you know, this guy came in for a job and I'm going to hire him because of what he shared. He learned from, you know, the program at True Colors, but he shared this about you. And he just talked about how 
like he was more willing to to be who he is and to share what he went through because he heard my story that me being honest and authentic, you know, opened up the door for him to be honest and authentic and to, and to believe in himself. And so I think it was at that moment where I realized that that the guys were listening, the people I served were listening. And it was that part where I'm mo- when, when I'm at my most vulnerable place, I'm also at my most powerful place, even though, you know, um, you are you have slight worries or concerns. But when you care about people and you convey that through a form of communication where you push yourself to the side, it changes what they believe about themselves and their possibility. Let's take a quick break. As a leader, I value responsiveness. In fact, it's one of the values of the small giants community. When it comes to email, crowded and disorganized inboxes can get in the way of being responsive to the people who matter most. I was so happy to learn that the team at Basecamp, a 2017 Forbes Small Giants Award winner, has transformed email with their new product called Hey. Hey gives you back control of your inbox with features you never knew you needed, but you won't want to live without. The first time you receive an email from someone, you get to decide exactly what to do with it. You can add it to your inbox full of all the important stuff, your feed for casual reads, or your paper trail for receipts and other transactions. Or you can decide not to receive emails from that person. There's a handy reply later feature, so you never miss getting back to someone, even if you can't tackle it right that second. Hey also makes it easy to edit email thread subject lines into something helpful so you don't have to sift through long message threads that have evolved light years away from the original subject. Hey blocks spyware, makes attachments easy to find, and lets you send large files. Visit hey.com now to start a 14-day trial. That's H-E-Y.com for a 14-day free trial. And now back to the podcast. You know, I, I, I usually have kind of a set of questions that I ask and I'm totally forgetting about all that because I, my thoughts are going in a, in a different way here with you and what, uh, how special it is, what, what you're doing. Uh, you told the story about how on that, that drive uh, one day up north, you got caught. So who knows what your life would have been like at this point if you hadn't got caught at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be completely different. And now you're, you are serving and being of service to people that are still active in that life, yep. right? In, in, at least in part. So what do you uh, say to them to, uh, without, you know, the, let's say people are still active and finding that there's some value coming to doing things they otherwise maybe shouldn't be doing, how are you convincing them that there's a, a better way? Yeah. So um, as part of, you know, when you come into True Colors and you go to that eight-week onboarding, there's a large component where, you know, you learn how to cultivate your block skills and use them in the boardroom. And so what, you know, I'm really big on is showing our team that what they have and what they do can be used in a positive way. Um, and it's not that, it's all negative. The things that they do is like they possess these skills and these talents that they don't understand how to u- utilize. And so I'm, you know, I'm really big on teaching them, you know, how to transition, you know, what they've always done into what they're doing right now. 
you know, and understanding what could happen with better leadership skills, what could happen when you change your language and how you speak to people and what could happen if you call yourself a smooth talker and we can give you some training and get you over this learning curve on how you can be a master communicator that can help with conflict, you know, and mediation. And so we show them how to utilize what they have and transition it into where they are today and where they want, want to go. After that onboarding um, and that initiation, Paul, I do what's called an individual action plan survey. And that survey goes out every quarter where I'm asking questions from the team about uh, uh, where they are in their career. If they're happy working here, what do they need to do for their professional goals and personal goals? And so I'm surveying them about everything that matters, not just for the company, but for themselves. And with that survey that we give out quarterly, I'm breaking it down into number one, a start, stop and continue. What should you start? What should you stop? And what you need to continue in order to hit the goals that you want for yourself? And then we're doing personal and professional development plans to help you reach your overarching goals. And we have team members in here that have gone from not having a place to stay to they have townhouses and family cars. One guy just proposed to his girlfriend and went to the best jeweler in town, not because he had a lot of money, but because I told him that he could go there and they would work with his budget, but he wouldn't have went there otherwise. And so um, it's teaching them and showing them and not just one time, you know, in order to, when you cultivate people in any company, it can't just be a one-time thing. It has to be a process, a sustainable process. Um, and it has to be a loop. It's something that continues to train your people to put them in a position where their best, it becomes a habit, you know, but you have to put the right tools in place. And so despite the challenges that we may face in True Colors and despite some of how some of our guides come in here and some of the things that they still may hold on to, when you educate and provide opportunity and give them the tools they need to sustain, you know, achieving their goals, to sustain this learning opportunity that they tapped into, you find that there's a success rate because they feel like they believe they're not doing it alone because they're not. They have people, they have position, they have a plan, and they have purpose that's all been put in place that they can see. All they have to do is do the hard work, and that's, you know, engaging. You know, it seems to me that you're moving well beyond training people for a job. You are training people for leadership and life, and I think that you're going to see so many great leaders come out of the work that you're doing. You, you are doing all the things that a purpose-driven leader is supposed to be doing. But we don't put our new employees through eight weeks of training. We don't throw them out of a plane. Mm -hmm. um, we don't generally have quarterly action planning. Uh, these are all the things, believe me, at companies that are much more mature than yours, that are on the to-do list. And maybe, maybe it's going in because of the backgrounds of some of these people, you are required uh, to do some of this, but I think that other companies can learn from from you. It's one thing to say we're training people just to survive, come off the streets and survive in life, but you've jumped into a a for profit business here, and and you want to not only uh, utilize that profit um, to help grow the company, but you want to make the world a better place. And and I think it's incredible how you used your own energy um, to identify the energy that's in, in all of these people that you're bringing into the organization. And that's what I found when I spent just a single day in prison. It's like, oh my God, the skills of these guys, incredible. They just you know, made a mistake early on and used that skill for the wrong purpose. But the business skill was there. The talent was there. 
the passion was there. And, and just like you did, uh, where you had those early influences of your parents uh, uh, and you were kind of put out there on your own, look what you have been able to accomplish. And, and you know, gosh, you're, you're just getting started. What would you say is a part of leadership that you still feel like you need to improve upon, Kale? I think it's confidence, Paul. And that may sound strange to a lot of people listening, um, but it's being confident and leading in a different way, you know, because it's not normal. And um, sometimes people don't understand the human and holistic side that that is cultivated here. And so it's the confidence and believing that, you know, the systems and the processes that you're creating are valuable to people and that it, it you know, it, I, I'm a firm believer that it may start with you, but it's never about you. You know, it's always about the people that you're serving. And so having the confidence that, you know, I need as a leader to remember that I'm not building for me, I'm building for we, right? And that there's value there, even though the approach is different, even though um, the approach is unusual. Um, I also need some help in time management. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, don't don't we all? What would you say to other leaders? Uh, you are uh, African American. Yep. We've just come through the. You know, we're still in the pandemic. We've come through the uh, George Floyd situation. I was very moved by that. The reaction to that, the social justice movement. Um, I've been personally working on ways to improve and see how we can make a difference, not just in diversity numbers in companies, uh, but truly having this conversation uh, and, and, un, and an understanding so that we can all improve in business and in life. Uh, what, what would you say to other business leaders who maybe haven't approached this conversation before uh, or are uncomfortable with it to make them more vulnerable and, and more willing to make progress in this area? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think that this year I've been encouraging a lot of people and I would encourage those that are listening to um, look beyond themselves and, you know, look at the people that they're serving and realize that, you know, even though a lot of people that are founders and CEOs may not have done anything yet and silence is still a conversation. And so the people that you serve in your companies need to know that you know, not that you're on their side, but that you are cultivating a workplace that is uh, not just has DEI, but it's Jedi. There's justice, there's equity, there's diversity, and there's inclusion. Just don't invite me to the dance, but dance with me when I'm there, right? And, And so it's important that as we look at this big picture, that we realize that we have to we have to design things that are extremely different that we've never had to design before. And I go back and I said it a couple of times during this conversation about that holistic and human approach, that activating the KIND code and KIND is an acronym for knowledge inspires new direction. Once you know what your people need, who they are, and what you should do as a company, it will inspire you to shape systems and processes that are purpose-driven, people-focused, and that are profit-aligned. And so if you want to increase your bottom line in a powerful way, it's not just going to be with the product, but it's going to happen in your people. Because if it happens with your people, then the product will eventually soar as well. So, you know, if you're listening, 
create for the people that you are creating for. Have a conversation. Being vulnerable is extremely hard, but your people will honor you. They will respect you um, more if you're open and honest than they would if you are covered and concealed. What kind of advice would you give to uh, someone that is younger and starting out? Let's take away all the you know, coming off the streets necessarily mm-hmm. or coming out of prison, right? Look, everybody has had their own challenges that have led them. Everybody has a story. But to take that story of how we were brought up, how we were trained, how we live, to turn mm-hmm. it into the difference maker that you've become, what would you say to a young person uh, that looks and is inspired by the work that you're doing? Yeah, I would tell them, um, again, to stay authentic to who they are, aware of the people that they're serving. What we all become, what we all are capable to do is not shaped from experiments, but from experience. And so our experiences is what pushes us, you know, to our place of creation, our place of being purpose driven. And so dig deep into who you are, you know, if you can understand you, then you can understand who you're not. And when you know who you're not, it'll help you put plans in place to get you in the position that you want to get get in. If you're brand new, remember that your voice and your story matters. You know, we, we've all been shaped by something, right? Nobody just showed up. And we often, you know, go through school and get the degrees and we forget the something that we were shaped by. But if we go back there to those moments where we wept, those moments of wins and those moments where we had to be kind or show more empathy than we have ever done before. And even those moments where we were angry and upset and we didn't understand, if we go back to those moments, we would begin to dig out who we are as leaders and who we are as people, as individuals. Because I think what we forgot a lot of in our country that you know the situation with George Floyd has showed us is that we all are human. Despite our color, despite our demographic or our socioeconomic status, we all are human and we all have stories that have shaped us. People do. People believe based on what they experience. So what have you done? You know, what do you believe and how has that shaped your experience? And if there's something there that needs to change, if you want to begin to unpack things like racial justice and equity in business, we have to pay attention to the bags that's been packed in and bags for me are the behaviors, the actions, the groups that affects and the systems that we've created so far that may need to be dismantled and redesigned. And based on the experience of somebody that's just starting out, they may be one of the architects of those new designs. That's right. Um, Incredible, Kao, what you've been able to do. I want to end with these five kind of quick hit questions, and then I want to reflect a little bit on on, uh, how you've inspired me today. But Really quick, just like the association game, can you think of a, a leader that uh, that you look up to? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, so this may sound awkward. I have a 13-year-old who is a leader. Like, she's so confident and so brave um, and so outspoken on what she believes about the environment. And, you know, she's my daughter, but I look up to her because some people aren't able to stand on what they believe in and be okay with people disagreeing. And so, and, and so it's, yeah, it's my 13-year-old, Cairo, yeah. What's her name? Cairo. Oh, beautiful. And um, how about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Man, this is going to shock you, Paul. The 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. It's a Dr. Seuss book, right? And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, um, you know, Bartholomew Cubbins, what he realized is that what he was looking for, he possessed all along. Man, 
And so for me, you know, sometimes we don't have to look outward. We have to look inward. And that's shaped my leadership style because when I look at people, I look at what's in them first before I see what I can add to to them or to their situation. Excellent. What about an all-time favorite movie? Um, I'm a Transformer fan. (laughs) (laughs) So anything with Optimus Prime or anything with Marvel, I am a superhero comic book girl. And so I follow the comic books. Um, I have the t-shirts. The family won't come to me to watch with the, to watch these movies because I'm screaming and clapping and yelling and doing all these things at the same time. So it's going to be, I'm sorry about that. It's going to be Transformers or, uh, Avengers. Oh, wow. And I'm probably a big Stan Lee fan. Uh, like my son. All right. So uh, how about a favorite TV series to binge watch? Really old. I'm going to say Prison Break. Um, It was a really good film about a brother who, a really good TV series about a brother who was framed. um, And his brother was an architect and he tattooed all the clues on his body to figure out a way to get, get in, to expose the people who framed him and to break him out. And I love it because of the storyline of one brother willing to risk himself to go in to get the brother out and utilizing what he had to do it. And so it's going to be prison break. (laughs) It's a great show. I remember it. Uh, And lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know? Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. Uh, When I'm not speaking on stages and in true colors, um, I preach in the church. Yeah. I'm a, a associate pastor at a local church. Wow. Just spreading the word uh, however you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Beautiful. Um, well, Kayo, I, I, I've got to reflect on a few of the things that you said that really uh, moved me today. And I know ha- will move our listeners. Just listening to what you are building at True Colors, this eight-week training program, I want to go through that program, right? I mean, if, if, to imagine the benefit of going through eight weeks of training on just life skills and uh, things that that most of us probably take for granted. I'm not ready to jump out of a plane, but 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 <laughs> you know what? You'd probably prepare me for that. My eight, uh, 18 year old daughter has been challenging me to do that for a long time, and that comes with with courage. But how you teach people to move from the block to the boardroom, just as as you have done, and look, even though you have the background you have, even though you have the employees and the recruits that you're recruiting who are special in their own way, you're experiencing the same things that happen in every business, right? The tension that happens uh, when people come in uh, and realize that, you know what, uh, they come in on day one, uh, we not we want to make sure that they come back on day two and day three. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that you said that I've just firmly believe, and and maybe you have formalized it with your peace talks, but this idea that it all starts with a conversation. And every problem I have felt that could really be started with a good conversation and bring people together. And and that's what you've been able to do. Obviously, the influences from your childhood, from your dad's alcoholism being put on the street, you know, forced you into this situation. You started to thrive in this air, in this business, uh, this drug trade, and and then you know found after you got caught that you obviously spent time behind bars, but you learned and never lost the value of education. And I think that value of education started before you ever got caught, right? I mm-hmm. mean, this is something that's been part of you from the beginning. And uh, people gave you a chance. You were inspired by other people, and you you've learned to be vulnerable. And that's what that uh, the key is, I think, to the success that you have. And you've realized that that has been uh, part of the reason you are successful is because you've been able to 
have the courage, to have the confidence to talk about it, and to use what you have in, in a positive way. The fact that you do quarterly action planning with your people are your people are just people. They're no different than anybody else. But mm-hmm. you're you're realizing that some of the tools that as business leaders we need to use it to succeed, uh, we procrastinate on. And you are putting in a discipline that are going to make these people and the business successful for the long term. Uh, the fact that you even said, you know, no one would know that you're not as confident as you'd like to be. Uh, but that's that's a lifelong challenge that's, again, pushing you and making you better. And uh, and the advice for leaders that says, you know, I'm not building this for me, I'm building this for we. Uh, just a beautiful sentiment that leaders to look beyond themselves, that the way to increase the bottom line is through your people. It's not about the product. It's about your people. It's about the purpose. And it's about continuous improvement Bottom line will come. The product improvement will come. That beer is going to be delicious, I'm sure, when it's when those taps start uh, flowing in in April. Um, and for the advice for people, just to stay authentic, realize that your own story matters, and and that we're all humans. I mean, just gosh, I I have to unfortunately apologize to my kids a lot lately, just to say, you know what, this is really not what the world's like. Uh, kindness matters. People are are good overall, and we need to get back to that. Get rid of the division in our country, and and like you said, it all starts with looking at ourselves and realizing that we all have a story, we all have our own experiences, um, but we all deserve to be treated equally. I love this Jedi justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And I'll tell you that you know you have encouraged me to continue to look at myself and to see where in this. Uh, world uh, in some small way, I can make a difference by making people that are in business, whether they are of color, uh, whether they've had different challenges to realize that, you know what, you're welcome here. And we're going to try to understand who you are and and try to make you better in one way or another. So uh, I just want to thank you for sharing not your story, but just your passion that is uh, going to just spread and spread and spread from whatever pulpit you're you're given. So, Kale, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing with Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on Twitter at Small Giants Buzz. Until next time. If you love this podcast, we know you love great stories about purpose-driven leaders. Meet some of these leaders, hear even more inspiring stories, and learn best practices at the 2021 Small Giants Community Summit. We're bringing together hundreds of like-hearted leaders for a virtual conference that won't leave you with Zoom fatigue. We'll have interactive sessions, fun ways to casually meet up with your fellow attendees virtually, and even live entertainment. Visit smallgiants.org to register, and we'll see you there.